1: There's this misconception out there that because I have had an eating disorder, I cannot do a good job of, of feeding. And I don't think it's black and white like that. I believe it's about how to be intentional in observing ourselves and how we facilitate.
0: Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby-led weaning. Here on the Baby Lead Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding, leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using Baby led Weaning. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Baby Lead Weaning Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Katie Ferraro, and today's Guest is Grace Wong. She's an eating disorder dietitian who also works with pediatric feeding disorder patients, and she's going to speak to parents today. She's talking specifically about parents in eating disorder recovery what to know before you go to feed your baby. So Grace has a background in working both with adult and pediatric eating disorder patients and clients, but she's also worked with children who have feeding disorders. So she's going to explain the difference between the two. But we spend most of the time in the interview today talking about how we can focus on the parents, right? Because so often, I mean, our babies are important. Nobody's discounting that, but we focus so much on the babies that we sometimes aren't paying attention to what's What's happening with mom when the baby turns six months of age? Uh, Many parents are, it's a very vulnerable stage, especially if you have a history of eating disorder. There's still many body changes going on. There's concerns about mom's mental health. Oftentimes postpartum depression is happening. There's concerns about body changes and body image. So grace really speaks to all of that with a really nice, approach to being sensitive to the needs of both the mom and the baby, and then how baby led weaning can hopefully be a positive experience for mom and for baby if the mom is in eating disorder recovery. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode with eating disorder dietitian Grace Wong. Well, hello, Grace, and thank you so much for being on the podcast today to talk a little bit to us about parents in eating disorder recovery and what they should know before they feed their baby. So again, thanks for being here.
1: Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be talking to you about this topic. I'm very passionate about this.
0: I know you. Are. I was like just learning so much about the work that you do. And maybe you could share with our audience a little bit about the population that you work with. And I learned a lot in speaking to you about the difference between feeding disorders and eating disorders. And maybe you could share with us how your professional experience has shaped your knowledge and understanding of both of those. And just so we can learn a little bit about who it is that you work with.
1: Absolutely. So I started my work in eating disorder um, as an eating disorder dietitian. And now I work with all ages, but when I started, I worked with particularly children and youth. Um, So that would be uh, the groups that when you think about having an eating disorder, their eating is quite severely impacted because of their concerns uh, or feelings, how they feel about their body size and shape. And then as I continue to do this work, I start to meet families who present to us that with what I would say it's more like a feeding disorder. So eating, it's very challenging, but it's not related to uh, to body concerns.
0: So I know one thing that my audience is really interested in many parents learn about baby led weaning, and they like the idea, gosh, my baby will learn to feed themselves wholesome, age appropriate foods, learning to listen to and respond to their own hunger and fullness cues. And for some parents, that really resonates, because as many people in my audience will share openly, they'll say, you know, I want my baby to have a healthy relationship with food, because I myself, do not have a healthy relationship with food. And that can look like many different things to many different people. But I was wondering, since you do work with the parents, and we are talking today about parents in eating disorder recovery, so much of being a mom or a parent is focusing on the baby and what's the baby doing. And now the baby's six months of age and it's time to start solid foods. Could you talk about why this is a particularly vulnerable time for the parent, especially one who may be in eating disorder recovery?
1: I've worked with parents who have all these concerns managed really well prior to the pregnancy or prior to birth. But then after this time, sleep deprivation, it just create these new challenges. So um, I think it's support, um, what type of support is available. And and when I talk to parents about feeding, sometimes we look at specifically what is manageable, what do we need to to bring in. Um, One of the things that we talked about is who is sitting with the baby to eat. Uh, Does it have to be the mom? Maybe when we are introducing solids. And then another um, challenge at this time is bodies are changing our bodies are changing in that still early time. Uh, For example, for moms who are still breastfeeding, we feel things in our body, our breasts are changing, our our entire body is still changing. So it's very vulnerable um, in terms of how we feel in our body. And these feelings, can get triggered when we start interacting with food. Not to say, and I won't keep going, going, but uh, you know, there's another thing that I, I'm thinking about is when we take our children and babies into physician visit. Um, sometimes physicians or pediatricians will discuss with us our children's growth, and sometimes the language that's used in discussing the baby size can be hard for us too when we hear about you know babies being too big or being too little. Um, these are words of phrases that are often used and we might not realize what is it like for parents to be hearing that on the other end.
0: And I think that's such an important point is that there are so many potential stress points when you're raising children, especially small children, especially if the first time you've done it, and the one barometer of whether or not you're doing a good job all comes boiled down to the growth chart. And well, your baby fell off the growth chart and last month they were this and it, and parents just convey such a sense of judgment. And so many parents, it is a very high point of anxiety to have to even have the baby weighed or have the baby's height taken. And now sometimes I, I just hear the anguish in their voices after those meetings because they're feeling like the entirety of their parenting capabilities are being judged by the growth chart. And while the growth chart is very important, we oftentimes remind parents that the inaccuracies of how babies' heights and weights are obtained in your typical pediatrician's office, at least in North America, may, more often than not, It is an error of the weight or the height. And oftentimes the person in the office is in a big hurry. They they might have something else on the scale or the baby has a full diaper on or the baby squirms and then the height ends up being longer. So oftentimes these these major fluctuations in the growth curve, which can cause so much anxiety in parents, may just be the function of a simple error in recording height or weight. So we don't want to discount it It certainly is important, but the entirety of your parenting capability should not be, you know, hanging on where the baby falls on the growth curve because that can be so anxiety If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit BetterHelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month.
1: And I think there is um, a culture or... We tend to um, have these measurements, and uh, a lot of times in practice, when we talk about clinical practice or, or professional training, we rely on numbers to gauge, right? And and we know parenting is so not about
0: numbers. Um And every baby is different. I mean, and parents compare themselves to their previous pregnancy. And you mentioned numbers. I think I was just hanging out with a mom the other day. She's 12 weeks postpartum. It's her fourth child. She said, I've never been this heavy 12 weeks after having a baby. I was like, well, first of all, this is your fourth baby. Congratulations. The baby's still alive. You're doing a fabulous job. But she said, I'm 12 weeks out. I should be back to my pre-pregnancy weight. I said, where on God's earth did you hear that recommendation? She's like, oh, everybody knows that. And I think, you know, being in feeding, we focus so much on feeding milestones and we'd love to see your baby doing X by Y age. Well, parents put those same milestones on themselves. I want to be back to my pre-pregnancy weight by this stage, or I want to be back at the gym by this stage, or however many weeks, and then comparing yourself to your friends or people you see in the media, or even your previous pregnancies, the numbers, as you mentioned, can be so limiting and can be trigger inducing. And so I wanted to ask you for parents that do have a history of disordered eating, what benefits do you see in a baby led approach to feeding that can help them rather than talking about all the bad stuff that's out there? Cause we kind of know that what can be beneficial about adopting this approach to feeding your baby if you are an eating disorder recovery and maybe speak a little bit about the language, about what the term recovery even means. Cause as I understand it in your field, there's even discrepancies as to how we talk about if someone is recovered or in recovery. So maybe you could give us some tips on language and then talk about the benefits of that baby led approach to feeding.
1: Right. So maybe I'll just uh, speak to um, what. I- mean when I talk about in recovery, I want to recognize that every parent has a story and context and every person in recovery are where they are in terms of their life journey. So when I speak to this right now, I want to be as encompassing as I can and not excluding anyone. Um, I work with parents who are really early on in the process and really are struggling to eat uh, or really struggling um, to connect with themselves and trust them in their relationship with food I've also worked with parents who have worked really hard and very solid in their recovery and very functional in life and eating hadn't been a concern for a long time. But then as they start the journey of pregnancy, parenthood and feeding, food start to become challenging again. So I I do want to just speak to that. I think this is something that's relevant for um, a wide spectrum of eating disorder, speaking to those who might be a group who might be actively receiving service or, or maybe meeting certain criteria right now. I think um, this speaks to um, our parents who really are struggling in some way in their relationship with food or maybe trusting, you know, we talked about uh, trust uh, or numbers, right? So um, in eating disorder recovery, one of the themes that we often talked about is shifting from external expectation to using ourselves as an internal gauge, using our intuition and trusting ourselves. So diet culture may tell us that we need certain calories or you need certain portion of this macronutrients or counting macros or using my fitness pal uh you know to guide our eating in recovery we're really trying to move away from that in a parallel quite often parents are pressured or if they feel pressure that there's expectations i need to be Providing my child with this teaspoon or just at this many tablespoon of this food group in a particular feeding. So I think um, baby-led weaning is actually quite, I would say, very supportive and conducive to letting the child guide us. So what parents do is it's really trying to connect with their voice and intuition, and connecting with ourselves in that feeding relationship to our children, so we can. Trust our child, and my job as a parent is to show up and attune to my child and pay attention. Pay attention to their cues and facilitate mealtime. So, for example, if they need help with something, uh, maybe I'm wrapping something. I will help them. If they need to grab something, if they're if they let's say pincer grip isn't quite ready yet, you know I can support that, uh, or maybe you know we can help with putting something on a dipper for them to put in their mouth. Uh, But what I do, how I show up, it's guided by what the baby is showing me. So this is what we call a reciprocal responsive um, relationship. Or if you think about, um, there's another term for it, the serve and return like in a tennis match. You serve the ball and I return it based on, you know, I watch how you serve and then I return. It's that back and forth, back and forth. And what I think baby learning supports is, I'm here with you, and you're feeding yourself, and I'm feeding myself, and I'm showing up to support you.
0: Wonderful. So you talked a little bit about trust and that one of the important tenets of recovery is reestablishing or establishing trust. And that's so much about the baby learning how to eat also involves trust as well. So could you give us some guidance perhaps on how preparing a meal or food for a baby can be a positive experience for the parent and how they can help instill that trust that they may be learning about in recovery into their babies who are learning about food. I think
1: that the the relationship is is um it's going to be the key. It's when we talked about relational feeding because we would have to um, trust actually our observation. So what I often prompt parents to do is to observe the baby but also observe my own reactions so I would see their cues and then then I ask myself what am I interpreting okay um, the baby is dropping this food what does that mean or um, if a baby um, if the baby is pushing this food to the side of the tray how am I interpreting that information I think sometimes we're really quick. We are really quick to say, oh, this means they are rejecting it or they, they, they like the food. We tend to see a very black and white they or they don't eat it. My problem would be to step back and think about how am I interpreting the sign? Um, and then think about what am I going to do to support it? For example, some children may found some food, um, maybe the, the odor is too strong, so they might push it to the side of their tray and they're not throwing it away. They are keeping it there. Um, they're comfortable to keep it there. Um, but it's just that maybe I'm not ready to put this food so close to myself today. So if we can reframe that from quite often we the first, reaction or um, our interpretation would be that's food rejection. But if we can understand it and reframe it, this is not rejection. This is actually babies having autonomy. They are in some control too. They also have autonomy. Um, I know um, in in the world of food acceptance or feeding, we talked about, and there is an acknowledgement that repeated exposure or introduction to food, it's part of that process of accepting and learning about new food. It's part of that developmental process, but we don't talk about as much how it's done how do we actually support that repeated introduction? And quite often I would coach the parents, it's okay to have the baby, allow them to have the body autonomy. So with baby weaning, because they are supported to do what they want with the food, it does allow them to build that positive experience. So then they have the confidence. I can manage. I may not like this odor today, and I can manage by moving it out a little bit. it's actually a positive experience because I know I can manage. And over time, they might actually get used to the same food uh, because they know they can they can learn to manage it. Just like how when I work with um, older kids sometimes, um, when I go to a birthday party, um, I don't eat pepperoni pizza, but I can eat cheese pizza. Okay, I'll see when I take the pepperoni away, can I manage a cheese pizza? It, in a very similar way, I, I don't. I'm not quite sure about this, this food today, but I'm gonna just maybe move it or I'm gonna like try it a little bite and it works, I will swallow it, but maybe the, another food, it doesn't work and I'm gonna spit it out and children have the capacity and, and autonomy to do that. And baby light weaning, I think there's a lot within um, this practice that actually support this, being responsive and supporting um, parents to support the child to facilitate.
0: So for parents that are in eating disorder recovery, they're getting ready to feed their baby. It's something that they're preparing for and they want to be aware of. What are some potential triggers that one should be wary of when starting baby led weaning if you are a parent in eating disorder recovery?
1: That's a really good question. Um... I will go back to what I mentioned a little earlier about the observe, observe and notice. If um, when we starting this process be observe ourselves and notice, also observe the baby. But also for example, if you notice, um, sometimes I would hear, I hope examples are helpful. I, I hear parents say, oh, when I see uh, my child eating this and loving this food, I am worried. I worried is this child just love this particular type of food, but not eating the other food as much. Uh, for example, I'm, I'm trying not to, to vilify any food, but for example, quite often um, carbohydrates foods, they're easy to maneuver. They're, they're some of the foods that are earlier for our babies to accept versus maybe vegetables, which are more stringy and require more oral skills. So sometimes I would hear from parents that they worry. So I find having that conversation to be open and, and that we're observing and we're noticing and then we talked about it in a non-judgmental way. So we would talk about what concerns you about this observation, what are your concerns, and I often explain to parents there is no shame in being honest. I think there are sometimes guilt or shame around I shouldn't feel this way anymore. Now that I'm a parent, it's my job to feed this child to have the best relationship with food. And that pressure sometimes prevent parents having these honest conversations. And I think there's also this misconception out there that because I have had an eating disorder, or I'm struggling with one, I cannot do a good job of of feeding. And I I don't think it's black and white like that. I, I do believe a lot is about how to be intentional in observing ourselves and being intentional in how we facilitate. And for some parents, they can do a fabulous job on their own. And for some parents, they will need some support. Like I said earlier, they might need some relief from um, being around food. They might need to eat on their own at some meals. So we might need to look at who can we bring in. Um, For some parents, we might need to have a conversation about introducing a food that they're finding it particularly difficult. So I guess I'm in a very roundabout way answering your question, Katie, that I don't think there's one particular trigger. And I do believe it is a vulnerable time that triggers would happen. And the key would be to stay connected with ourselves and be really honest about those challenges.
0: Well, thank you so much, Grace. This is really informative and very, very helpful and important topic that I think many of us again, we're focusing so much on the babies and not always looking at how we're taking care of ourselves, both mentally and you work in the mental health space. So you really understand that. And thank you for sharing with our audience. Could you tell us where the audience can go to learn more about the work that you do in eating disorders? And you also mentioned you work with feeding disorders, ADHD, autism. Where can we learn more about your work?
1: right. Um, I have um, a local practice where I am in um, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I also do, I also have a virtual practice and I actually don't have a website, but I do have a Facebook group. This is a part of just um, working and being a parent. I, sometimes I'm limited in how much energy I can, I can, you I have can a lot of energy.
0: Med- <laughs> it's impressive. What is the name of the Facebook group? And I'll go ahead and link to it in our show notes. You guys, that's at blwpodcast.com slash four, six. What is the name of the Facebook group?
1: It's Grace Wall. RD the MSC. So yeah, I'll give, I'll send you the link, Katie, and feel free. I, I haven't been really active, but I'm over the last few months, but I'm hoping to gradually get back into it and share more content. So I'd love to hear if there's any feedback, um, anything that I'm going to be sharing um, this podcast linked on my page as well. So I'd love to hear feedback if anyone wants to share and, and chat about that over on my page.
0: Well, wonderful. Thank you so much again for being here, Grace. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with eating disorder dietitian Grace Wong. As I mentioned, I'll link to all of her resources on the show notes for this episode, which is at blwpodcast.com/46. If you're enjoying the podcast, if you have suggestions for future episodes, if you love hearing from experts like Grace Wong, please leave me a written review on Apple Podcasts. It makes the world of difference with helping the podcast to get found by other parents and caregivers who are interested in learning more about giving their baby a safe start to solid foods using baby led weaning so if you go to apple Podcasts and you find the baby led weaning made easy podcast scroll all the way to the bottom you can rate it but also a written review again would mean the world to me and i love seeing all of your episode ideas in the written reviews i read every single review and i thank you guys so much for listening and for being here today to learn from grace wong bye now